Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I'm delighted to talk again to Dr. Abdullah Swedi. You're most welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome, salam. Uh, and uh, Dr. Abdullah has been on Blogging Theology a couple of times before, some very interesting videos. Just do a search for those. Uh, for those who don't remember, Dr. Uh, Abdullah is a Swedish convert to Islam, uh, and he holds a PhD in Islamic theology and is a specialist in topics related to atheism. And he has taught in Al Masjid Al Nawabi and the Islamic University in Medina, where he is at the moment, and has been active in teaching Islam in Sweden for well over 15 years. And Dr. Abdullah has kindly agreed to talk to us today about Islam in Sweden itself. So perhaps, um, Doctor, can you tell us something about Sweden as a country, just to start with? Bismillah. Uh, first of all, I thank uh, you, Paul, that I have an uh, other chance to come here to, to your channel. Uh, and it's a big pleasure for me. Uh, I think that most people that, uh, that will listen to the, to the talk uh, heard about Sweden before. Uh, in many people or many Muslims used to have a quite good picture of Sweden. I remember mm. when I used to travel to, to the Muslim countries the first time 20 years ago, when I said I was from Sweden, many people said, oh, Sweden is a good country and so on. Yeah. But in the recent years, uh, many people, uh, they heard bad things about Sweden, things that happened in Sweden, uh, people that burnt the Quran uh, in public and mm. other tougher policies against Muslims and so on. So mm. when I uh, speak to Muslims in different countries now, uh, people usually get, uh, have uh, a worse or uh, not so good picture of, of Sweden. And Sweden mm. is also used uh, many times in, as an example in political debates and even uh, religious debates. You can see many secularists, uh, when they speak about Sweden, they say it's like a model country uh, with higher high moral standards and how a country can be uh, a prosperous secular country without religious uh, morals and so on. So many times to use Sweden as an example. And also you can see conservatives in different countries when they speak about Sweden, they take Sweden as a terrifying example. 
what happens to a country when immigrants come to the country and they sh show like chaotic news reports of high crime and riots in the suburbs and so on. Even uh, President Donald Trump used Sweden as an example for his really? presidential campaign. Oh yeah. my goodness me, I don't know who's picking on Sweden, really, that's a bit much. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, you can see people uh, use Sweden different examples. So uh, I think most people, they heard about Sweden, but uh, I will try uh, as well as I can to give a nuanced picture uh, about Sweden and the relation between Islam uh, and, and Sweden. And I think okay. it's an uh, important subject, not only about uh, Sweden as a country and the relation between Islam and Sweden, but also in a broader picture, uh, the relation between Islam and the West that we can see right. as an example here in, in Sweden. And also we can have the, uh, a chance to speak about the future of Islam in Sweden and in mm. Europe uh, generally, yeah. inshallah ta'ala. So just to clarify, if I may, uh, Dr. Um, so, so Sweden, I, am, am I right, uh, is the largest of the Scandinavian countries because you also have yes. Norway and you also have Denmark. These three yes. countries are in the same part of kind of northern Europe and they're quite similar in some ways geographically, linguistically even, um, and, and they're often grouped together, aren't they, as, as Scandinavian countries? Yes. You say Scandinavian countries, uh, it's uh, Sweden, Denmark and Norway. And the Nordic countries, it's Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Finland, and Iceland. So uh, Finland has a, a totally different language, but Norwegian and Swedish and uh, Danish are uh, closely related languages. So yes. it's easy for a Swede to understand Norwegian and, 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 uh, and Danish. And, and, and uh, not, not getting Iceland, which is geographically like a long, long way away, but still... Yeah, it's a lot a long away, but they have some... Uh, Vikings were living in Iceland too, so we have some. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Vikings. Uh, uh, the, the V word. <laughs> everyone, everyone associates Vikings as well with, and uh, not today, yeah. of course, in the distant past. But I mean, the, I mean, when did Swedes first come into contact with Islam, or was it just recently, or is there a, his a history behind this? Uh, uh, first of all, uh, like I said, like, Sweden is the biggest country in, in the, yeah. uh, amongst Nordic countries, and first time people moved to Sweden, they mentioned it was like 12,000 BC. I don't really know, but this is what they oh. said. But they don't have any written sources uh, mm. about Swedes from that time. And the first time that Swedes are really mentioned in written sources is during the Viking Age. And the Viking wow. Age is between 8th century and 11th century. And Vikings, they were polytheists, uh, but they uh, moved around uh, a lot, so they they, <laughs> they certainly did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, came, they came to England quite a bit as well. Yeah, yeah. They, they they came for trade and for raids. So they raided the Russia, England, Ireland, France, Andalus, and Spain, North Africa. Wow. They went to the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. So they went to three continents uh, and raided these countries and, and traded over there. So it, it's quite interesting because Sweden at that time only had about 100,000 inhabitants. And mm. the largest city in Sweden at the time, it's called Birka, uh, only had about 700 to 1,000 inhabitants. That's the biggest city in, in wow. Sweden. It's a tiny hamlet. At the same time, Baghdad had about 1 million inhabitants. That's just yeah. only Baghdad. Uh, yeah. And Cordoba had about 500,000 uh, inhabitants and so on. And mm -hmm. Vikings, they, they never wrote books, but they have inscriptions, what they call mm -hmm. rune stones. So mm -hmm. you can know something yeah. about their 
their history from the runestones. Uh, mm -hmm. At the same time, uh, Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. The second in the Caliph in Andalus, he had a library with about 500,000 books. This wow. is at the same time as the Vikings. They only had some inscriptions and, and it was like the culture in the Muslim world was really prosperous at that time. And Vikings were going around raiding people. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. A real sense of the superior uh, cultural civilization of the Muslim world, which of course was in Europe at that time as well. The, the Iberian Peninsula, what we call now called Spain and Portugal, uh, what, what was a, a part of the Muslim Empire, and it was incredibly advanced in terms of culture and economics and uh, and, and every even cleanliness and, and so on uh, uh, than the rest of Europe, Christian Europe, which was very much in the Dark Ages, as it's called. Yeah. Uh, and mo most of uh, uh, Europe was uh, Christian during uh, the Middle Ages, but Sweden mm. became Christian uh, in the beginning of the 11th century. Mm. So Sweden became Christian quite late. Uh, the first Christian, uh, uh, the first Swedish king that was baptized was Olof Skötkonung, uh, the year uh, 1008. Uh, and then it took about uh, 100 years after that until Sweden became a Christian country. So Sweden was first a Catholic country. Uh, mm -hmm. And then during the Reformation, it became a Protestant country. Specifically, a Lutheran. Martin Martin Luther uh, is a Lutheran country. So, in, in all the battles between the uh, literal physical battles, uh, Sweden was Lutheran. Other countries were uh, Calvinist or, or, or Anabaptist or whatever. But the, Sweden was uh, a follower of Martin Luther, clearly. Yeah, and, and the Reformation started in Sweden in 1527. And Martin Luther, he died 1546. So Sweden was uh, adopted Christianity and Lutheranism uh, really, uh, and really early uh, mm -hmm. during the uh, during the lifetime of of, uh, of Martin Luther. And the king that uh, established Sweden as a Protestant country, a Lutheran country, his name is Gustav Vasa, and he is considered to be the the father of the modern Sweden. And Sweden, after that, uh, became a great empire in, in Northern mm -hmm. Europe. 
and yes. they even uh, they took parts of Finland, Norway, northern parts of Germany, Estonia, and they fought uh, the Poles and the Russians uh, like a form of sectarian uh, religious warfare. Yeah, and this has uh, it's very important. We will speak later about, about the relation between Islam and uh, and Sweden because you, you Sweden was surrounded. Okay, so. So to say, today people think Christians get on to get uh, get on well together. They're interdenominational, ecumenical movement. But in fact, historically, Christians have uh, been at war with each other over religious differences. So you just mentioned your Lutheran country uh, attacking Russia, which of course was Russian Orthodox, uh, a bit like Catholicism. And there were other got the Roman Catholicism, of course, which was banned, I think, in Sweden. So the, the religious wars were really. Uh, strife, schism, antagonism were really there for much of Christian history. It's only very recently with the rise of secularism and liberal democracy that I think the, the temperature has decreased quite a bit. Yeah, uh, during the 17th century, it was forbidden, strictly forbidden, to have any other faith than Luth Lutheran uh, Protestantism in Sweden. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you came to Sweden as a Jew or a Muslim or a Catholic or anything else, you had to convert. It was forbidden for you to enter Sweden if you were not uh, a Lutheran Christian. So Swedes were quite harsh on religion uh, during that time. And they even used to have something that is called house interrogations in Sweden. Mm -hmm. So the local priest used to go to the houses of people, each family, and ask them about their faith. If they have memorized the faith, the Lutheran faith, in a correct way. So they had interrogations uh, about the faith. So... Sweden as a country was quite a homogeneous country uh, where most people were from the same ethnic group. We have some other ethnic groups, but most of them from the same ethnic groups. All of them were Lutheran Christians and they were quite harsh on their, uh, uh, on their faith. Sweden only had uh, laws about total uh, religious freedom in 1952. So even before that, uh, Catholics could have some problems in Sweden and so on. Uh, it started to get lighter and lighter during the 19th century, but uh, at the same time, Sweden was quite harsh when it came to Protestantism. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, what happened during uh, the 19th century in Sweden, uh, Sweden was quite a poor country. Uh, 800,000 Swedes moved to, to USA during just uh, 25 years, from 1865 to 1890. Uh, it was only 4 million inhabitants in Sweden, so 800,000 people moving to USA at the same time because of poverty and so on. It's, uh, it showed that Sweden was a, a poor country. Uh, and many people uh, started to move into cities and were uh, during the industrialization and so on. Mm. And uh, they had poor conditions, like uh, this, the same way as um, in uh, in UK and so on. So socialism started to spread in Sweden uh, a lot uh, in the end of the 19th century, in the beginning of the uh, 18th, uh, 20th century. Mm. Uh, and socialism in that time uh, was uh, very, very secular and even anti-religious in many mm. ways. They even had some... Uh, uh, they were inspired by Satanism at that time, wow. uh, even in other countries. Yeah. So the Social Democratic Party in Sweden used to have a newsletter called Lucifer. And they had, 
Yeah, and they had the Ten Commandments, and they said the first commandment is it's another name for the devil, isn't it? I mean, this is like his his personal name. You know, you couldn't. No one else is called Lucifer. Just just yeah. the devil. Yeah. yeah, amazing. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments in their in their newspaper was, "You should not have any other gods beside me, the Light Bringer." So, wow. yeah. Uh, and this is the the political party that have been ruling Sweden for most of the 20th century. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why Sweden is such a secular country. So Sweden went from a really religious mm. Protestant country to a secularized country. And one of the main reasons for that is that the Social Democratic Party ruled in Sweden from the 30s and most of the 20th century and just until uh, they they lost the elections uh, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago so in sweden they ruled also most of the 21st century in sweden and in the beginning they were very uh, anti-religious and secular and then they started to light up more and more and so on uh, during the time but uh, this is one of the main reasons why sweden became uh, a secular country another thing that is quite interesting in sweden is that swedes uh, they were very uh, affected uh, of uh, social Darwinism and, and Darwinism. Mm. Uh, so they have what is called the State Institute of Racial Biology in Sweden. Got and it. they conducted racial studies of tens of thousands of people in Sweden between 1922 to 1958. And even leading Nazi uh, biologists, they uh, praised Sweden. They say Sweden... Uh, Really, the research in racial biology is one of the best research and so on. So Sweden was a leading country when it came to eugenics and racial biology at that time. And they even continued with the, these studies after World War II. Uh, Germany wow. stopped all of these studies, but Sweden continued uh, during the 50s with these studies. And the Social Democratic Party, even though they were socialists, they had, if you see what their old, uh, like, uh, politicians used to say about uh, uh, these things, they used to have really racist uh, statements about other uh, ethnic groups and so on. And they even used to have what is called compulsory sterilization in Sweden. Uh, so they could, uh, of tens of thousands of people in Sweden, uh, and people that they thought were like uh, mentally retarded or they did not have, uh, they were from other ethnic groups and so on in Sweden. So Sweden was uh, a homogeneous country when it came to uh, race, if you can say race or ethnic group, and at the same time, first uh, the Protestant faith and then uh, secularization. And so uh, there were not many foreigners living in Sweden. There were some Jews and some uh, other ethnic groups, but not so many. Uh, after World War II, uh, Sweden did not uh, participate in World War II. So uh, the industry in Sweden was really it was intact after the war. So they needed a lot of people coming to the Swedish industries to work. So in the 60s and the 70s, a lot of foreigners started to move to Sweden to work there. Mm -hmm. And they used to have what is called assimilation politics. So if you came to Sweden at that time, you, have to, you had to assimilate to the society because they still had the kind of thoughts that they had before. If you come to Sweden, you have to be a Swede uh, when it yeah. comes to values and other things too. Yeah. But in 1975 in Sweden, they changed their politics to what is called multicultural uh, politics in Sweden. Uh -huh. 
So they let people establish their own religious faiths and they, they could establish their own culture and they even could have uh, money from the government and so on. And Sweden started to accept uh, refugees too, especially in the 90s. So uh, now in Sweden, about 2 million people of 10 million people are born outside of Sweden. And about 30% have some connection to other countries, either they're both their parents or one parent or they're born outside of Sweden. Uh, and in some cities in Sweden, it's about 50% of the population. So Sweden has changed a lot during these years from being a homogeneous country uh, mm. to being a, a multicultural, multi-religious country. So if we speak about the relation between Islam and Sweden during mm. these uh, periods of time, we can see first uh, the Vikings and Islam, like I mentioned, the uh, Vikings, they, they went around, they raided, they, they traded yeah. in, uh, in different countries. So they came to Muslim countries. Uh, they have found 168,000 silver coins from the Islamic world in Sweden, in Gotland, uh, in Ireland. Uh, dated back to the 9th to the 12th century. They even so found... These are Muslim coins, so presumably in Arabic, are they? Yeah, yeah. Right, in Sweden. So, right, okay. Yeah, so most of the coins uh, they even found uh, was called Spilling Hoard. It's uh, uh, 14,000 coins in a, uh, in a specific place. And almost all of the coins were from uh, the Muslim world. So right. they had uh, probably... Uh, they had trade with Muslims or they reached yeah. the Muslim lands in the, those days. But yeah. like I said, uh, the Vikings did not write books. So uh, the sources that we have about the relations between Vikings and the Islamic world were from the Islamic world. Hmm. Uh, they used to call them Rus, Rus uh, yeah. in their books. Uh, it's a Persian historian living in the Abbasid Caliphate. His name is uh, Ibn Khardudhba. Uh, he lived in the ninth, uh, ninth century, and he mentioned that they reached the capital of the caliphate, Baghdad, during those times. So mm. some Vikings came to Baghdad. And other sources mentioned that Vikings tried to raid Andalus, and they reached Sevilla, uh, but they were captured, and then they converted to Islam. So yeah. some... Vikings converted to Islam and they lived in Andalus. And other uh, sources mentioned that Vikings raided Azerbaijan in uh, nine, uh, 943 and they killed thousands of people and they even took many Muslims as slaves. Uh, and they thought that maybe they took them to, to Sweden. So maybe the first time that Muslims reached Sweden was during the Viking Age, but there are no real evidences of that but it's a possibility but some vikings uh might maybe became uh, muslims mm. uh, it's it a new idea to me muslim vikings i've got to get my head around they used to they used to make cheese to to, <laughs> to muslims living in the andalus area <laughs> Was I, I wasn't uh, expecting you to say that. I, now you mention it. Okay. Viking Muslim cheesemakers. Okay. Yeah. More, more interesting second, this picture of who these guys yeah. are. Okay. Cool. One of the most uh, uh, interesting books that I've been reading about that 
is uh, Muslim traveler called Ahmed ibn Fadlan. Uh, he went from the Abbasid Caliphate to Volga and he met the Vikings over there. Yeah. So he wrote, uh, wrote a book about what he saw from the Vikings. I actually have a copy. It's actually translated into English. I actually did a, uh, um, a BT thing on that, uh, discussing uh, Viking funerals. The only uh, first-hand eyewitness account of a Viking funeral ever uh, and uh, all, all that led up to that is actually quite, well, horrific, I suppose, because uh, yes. they also burnt, uh, you know, live human beings on the funeral part of the person who had died. So, uh, yeah, no, sorry, but it's an extraordinary story. Um, yeah, yeah. When, when you stu study Norse religion, uh, like the, the, the polytheist religion of the Vikings, mm -hmm. one of the main sources that you go back to is the book of Ahmed ibn Fadlan because wow. he described the Vikings and he said about them that they were the most dirty of Allah's creation. So yeah. he did yeah. not think too good about them. Uh, and he described their pagan rituals and so on. So there were some uh, interactions between Muslims and Vikings during the age, uh, but we don't know so much about that. Uh, like I mentioned, Sweden became a Catholic, a Catholic country and then, uh, and when they were a Catholic country, uh, they did not travel so much, and so on. It's not so much mm. known about that uh, period of time, too, um, because Sweden, Swedes stayed in Sweden uh, most of the time. They did not participate in the Crusades and so on. Uh, but when Sweden became a Protestant country, they were surrounded with uh, Orthodox and Catholic countries. Mm. And these countries fought the Muslim countries. So they became, they had alliances with uh, the Muslim countries because it's like my enemy's enemy is my friend. Yeah. So they started to establish diplomatic and diplomatic alliances with uh, some Muslim countries like the Khanate of Kazan and the Khanate of Krim and the Ottoman Empire. God. And uh, you can see like Protestants during that time, they had so many disputes with uh, Catholics um, during that time. There was a motto or a saying in Netherlands, they said, Lever Turks dan Paps, rather a Turk than a Catholic. So, <laughs> so uh, they had better contact with Muslims wow. than they had with... Uh, so a, a lot of the uh, the Protestant polemic against Catholics is quite Islamic, actually. The, the, yes. the emphasis on there being one God, not worshipping saints and idols and other mediators mm -hmm. like Mary and the saints and, uh, and yeah. so on. And, so, and a, dr a direct relationship with God rather than through priesthoods and a sacerdotal understanding. Um, so they, it, it's quite an Islamicized version of Christianity, although obviously they, they did believe Jesus was God and they believed in the Trinity and so on. But uh, so you can see there might and be... Even Martin Luther himself, he, he wrote some bad things about Islam and about Muslims yep. and so on. But they saw it like a strategic alliances with the Muslim world against the Catholics because there were so many religious wars inside of Europe at that time. But it's mm. quite interesting with, with the context that they had. And one of the most... Uh, interesting things that happened in Sweden uh, during the 18th, uh, 18th century uh, was that uh, the King Charles XII in Sweden, he went to war against Russia and he lost the Battle of Poltava uh, 1709 and then he fled to the Ottoman Empire and he stayed there for six years in the Ottoman what? Empire. Yeah. Did he convert? Did he convert to Islam? No, no, he did not convert. He stayed and he ruled Sweden from the Ottoman Empire really? for six years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that, that's yeah. extraordinary. I mean, so the idea of, of Sweden going to war with Russia just seems crazy. It's like, like today, you know, Sweden going yeah, to war with yeah, yeah. 
you just don't do it. You know, the, Russia's his big bear. How could he possibly go to war with it? But anyway, they yeah. he tried and lost, as you say. But it's not, it's, it's not so far away. 1709, it's like it's 300 years ago. It's not that far away. Uh, and uh, the Swedish king living in, in the Ottoman Empire and ruling Sweden from, <laughs> from over there. That, that, that's quite interesting. Uh, and when he lived there for six years, he had he borrowed a lot of money, uh, 2.5 million uh, rix dollar, like the, 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 Swedish, uh, the Swedish money, and 1.5 million from private lenders. So in the end, the Ottomans, they had enough of him, so they threw him out <laughs> in the end. He had 2,000 people with him. So when he went back to Sweden, he took people from the Ottoman Empire that he borrowed money from, he took them back to Sweden, some Muslims and some Jews. And uh, they stayed in Sweden for a couple of years. And he had to write a royal decree allowing them to enter Sweden yeah. as Muslims and Jews, because that was forbidden in Sweden. Yeah. An amazing story. Gosh. Um, yeah. it, uh, I don't know if you finished or not, but I mean, the next question really is, what's the situation like for Islam and Muslims in Sweden today, uh, given we're now in a very secular world, not just in Sweden, but throughout the West, of course, a very different world indeed. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I can mention that the first converts uh, to Islam from Sweden, there were some converts to Islam uh, during the 17th and the 18th, 18th century. Uh, mm -hmm. A Swedish commandant uh, called Yul, uh, Johan Julhammar, he converted to Islam during the 17th century. And he went to Indonesia and then to Ottoman Empire. Another guy uh, called uh, Henrik Wilhelmsson also converted to Islam and went to the Ottoman Empire. And one guy called Johan Erman, he converted to Islam and was an advisor to the Sultan of in Libya. And that was during the 19th century. And he took the name Mohammed Swedi. <laughs> and he oh. was an advisor for the Sultan for 20 years. That's quite interesting. Uh, but Sweden did not have any uh, Muslim citizens uh, during the 19th century. Uh, the first Muslim that came to Sweden uh, was a person, a Tatar, uh, that came in the late uh, last years of the uh, 19th century. Uh, and in uh, a census 1930 in Sweden, it's mentioned that it was 15 Muslims in all of Sweden. God. That's uh, yeah, 90 years ago, and now it's more than 1 million, so <laughs> it's a okay. quite big change in Sweden, yeah. Gosh, that's huge. There was some uh, people that converted to Islam also, and they became Sufis. They were interested in the whole Oriental thing, so they traveled to the Muslim world and became Sufis mm. uh, during that time. And then some Turks moved to Sweden. The first uh, Islamic organization that started in Sweden was in 1949. Uh, and they started their first prayer place where they prayed in 1959. And they even went to the prime minister in Sweden uh, during that time. And they wanted to open a real mosque. And he forbade them. He said uh, it's not allowed for Muslims to open up like a... They did not allow Muslims to build a whole mosque in Sweden. That's during the 50s in Sweden. Because they it, had the whole... What was the? Did, uh, do you happen to know the reason that he gave? Why? Because it's very hard for us to. Uh, I mean, Sweden now is known for as being very liberal and very open, mm -hmm. apparently. Um, but you're saying the prime minister actually forbade the opening of any mosques in Sweden, and this is actually within living memory for some people. 
Yeah, yeah. Tage Lande, it's not so long ago too. Uh, they say, one historian that I saw, uh, that I read from, he said that maybe he thought that Sweden is going to be, they're going to build like a big Turkish mosque or something like that. So he mm. said that this will change. I, I don't know what. But this is how Sweden was uh, like in the beginning, uh, even after World War II. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, more and more people came to Sweden, uh, more and more Muslims. And in the 70s, subhanAllah, it was only 1970, it was about 10,000 Muslims in Sweden. Like I said, now it's one million. So it's a big change. And you can see also that like the leader of the Islamic organization in the 70s was a woman without a headscarf and a short skirt in Sweden. So they were living, really living in accordance to the assimilation politics. Thoroughly assimilated, completely assimilated by the sounds of things. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's really interesting. But uh, when Sweden changed the politics in 1975 for multiculturalism, uh, they started to take more and more uh, refugees to Sweden, and they started to establish mosques and Islamic organizations in Sweden. So Sweden really changed their whole poli uh, politics uh, 180 degrees. And they uh, established good relations with the Islamic organizations in Sweden. And they even uh, worked with their political parties and they allowed them to start Islamic schools and build mosques and so on. But this was only during a short period of time. And yeah. I will come to that later because, because now it's, it's very different today, back. isn't it? Uh, yeah, there's a, a tiny window when the, the kind of uh, the ideal when there was this uh, freedom of worship and uh, association yeah. in Sweden. And then, so what yeah. went wrong? What what what, what was the change uh, in the political cultural atmosphere such that things have turned very differently these days? Uh, during the nineties. There were many different wars in, in different Muslim countries. It was the Yugoslavian War in Bosnia, uh, in Iraq, uh, the Gulf War, and uh, the civil war in Somalia, and so on. So in a short period of time, hundreds of thousands of Muslims came to Sweden. So like I mentioned, in the 1970s, it was 10,000 Muslims, and 2,000, about 400,000 Muslims. So just in a short period of time, hundreds of thousands of Muslims came to Sweden. And most of them at that time uh, were refugees. They came as refugees to Sweden. And that's not the same as people coming there to, to work, they're educated and so on. Many people did just fled from their countries. Right. Yeah. And many people were poor and, and so on. So uh, even at that time, Sweden, uh, when people came, they used to say that they should live in accordance to their ethnic, cultural uh, way of life. So uh, people, Arabs came and lived together, and Turks lived together, Somalis lived together, and so on. Uh, not totally, but usually. You could find different areas in different suburbs. Uh, most of the people are from that country, and most of the people are that, from that country, and so on. And uh, many of these people are poor. And there were, uh, there is a high rate of criminality in these uh, these areas and so on. So the racist parties, or they, start, they started some racist parties in Sweden or anti-immigration parties that started to focus on these issues, uh, yeah. immigration, yeah. Uh, assimilation, into, uh, and so on uh, in, in Sweden. 
And also one other thing that happened in the 90s that some people affiliated to terrorist organizations settled in Sweden. Uh, there were very few of them, like tens of them only, but uh, they started to look at Muslims, uh, some authorities started to look at, Swede, uh, at Muslims as a security threat. Mm. And that uh, escalated, of course, after 9-11. Mm. So, and then also after that, during the civil war uh, in Syria and so on, uh, hundreds of Swedish youth, they went to Syria to fight and so on. And this also affected how people looked at or how many Swedes look at uh, uh, at Islam. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So if I, we look at the, the situation now in Sweden, uh, we can see like there was a golden age between Islam mm. Muslim organization and the uh, Swedish state in the uh, late 80s and the 90s and also in the beginning of the 21st century. Mm. Uh, even some Muslims, they started to reach uh, higher, higher in levels in, in different political parties. One Muslim became uh, 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 was a minister, secretary of uh, state, and, and uh, was a minister in uh, in the government, and so on. And then everything's changed, like 180 degrees. So they started in media to focus on the Muslim uh, politicians. Uh, he got fired, the minister, just after one year. And all Muslims, active Muslims that uh, working in the political parties, or the famous for that they are like practicing Muslims, almost all of them got fired from the political parties uh, in just a couple of years at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, there were new parties in Sweden that was anti-immigration. Uh, 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 there were usually small parties in the beginning, but now in the last election in Sweden, Swedish Democrats, they, they have neo-Nazi roots, like the, the founders of the party were neo-Nazis, and then they became more and more uh, democratic in their way. Uh, they are the second biggest party in Sweden now. So, wow. and the coalition that rules Sweden now uh, are together with this party. So, uh, things changed. Like, in the beginning, they only had 0.5% and so on, and then more and more and more, uh, they got more and more votes at the same time. Mm. But this party managed to put pressure on the rest of the parties in Sweden. They used to focus on immigration, used to focus on Islam, Muslims, there are so many Muslims coming to Sweden, and so on and so on. So, even the other political parties started to uh, put more and more pressure on uh, the Islamic organizations. So we had tens of Islamic schools in Sweden that were uh, closed in just two or three years now from the former government that was ruled by the Social Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. uh, so they are making, they're putting more and more pressure on lowering the number of immigrants and putting pressure on Islamic organizations that they have to uh, comply to different uh, uh, democratic values that they mention and so on. And they are more and more speaking about why can the gays get married inside of, uh, homosexuals get married inside of the mosques and so on. They try to put more and more pressure with the secular values, uh, liberal values on the Islamic uh, organizations. And like I mentioned, uh, only about uh, two months ago from now, uh, there was uh, elections in Sweden and, and mm -hmm. the coalition that uh, 
uh, uh, rules, uh, the rules Sweden now uh, from liberals and conservatives are together with this party that has uh, neo-Nazi roots in Sweden. Uh, they are focusing a lot on Islam in media. There's an Islamic organization that made a study of the number of articles in Swedish media that mentioned Islam and Muslims. And they saw it was more than 60,000 articles in one year about mm. Islam and Muslims. And most of them are focusing on Islam in a very negative way. Mm -hmm. So people are really getting uh, brainwashed when it comes mm. to uh, how to look at Islam and Muslims and so on. So in accordance to some surveys, uh, uh, it's mentioned in 2011 that 54% of the Swedes said that they have a negative view on Islam and only 10% said that they have a positive view of Islam. Mm -hmm. And this is only escalating. Now the whole political climate at the same time uh, makes it more... Uh, it's... Uh, uh, it's okay to, to have negative views in, on Islam and even discrimination in working place. According to a study, 80% 80 less chance to get a job in Sweden if you're a Muslim. Uh, so they have institutional race, uh, racism uh, in many instances and uh, also uh, physical, uh, physical abuses of Muslims, especially Muslim women. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not the whole society, of course. Uh, many Swedes are open. To, to Muslims, but if you look at uh, uh, this survey and other surveys, it shows that most people have negative views uh, against Muslims, and this really affects how uh, the whole situation w w w with Muslims in Sweden. And, and this, is, this is sort of sadly parallel in other European countries, in France, obviously, Italy, uh, Britain to some extent, uh, uh, where the media Germany, uh, Netherlands. Yeah, the Netherlands, and yeah, uh, indeed, the list is quite long. Um, where the media are, are tend to be, uh, uh, the problematized and criminalized uh, Muslims, uh, and just so the, the recent events of the, you know, um, the uh, the World Cup in Qatar, the way uh, the British media, at least, is uh, discusses Qatar as if it's this ob object of derision and condemning it, and so in way you would never speak like that of the United States if it was host the yeah. World Cup or other European countries who have got a, a very very long list of problematic uh, policies and invading other countries and so on. But their their uh, right to host the World Cup would never be questioned. Um, yeah. So it, it's very uh, as I said in a, in a in a recent video the asymmetry. Not, not of the standards, Sorry? And I think it's important to understand the whole history. If we understand the history of these countries, that Islam, they have a relation with Islam since a long way back. But at the mm. same time, uh, Muslims living inside of these countries yeah. uh, uh, and so on, this is something quite new. Yeah. Uh, like Muslims really living in accordance to uh, their faith in Sweden, it's like... Uh, 30, 40 years old in Sweden only. And yeah. Sweden was a homogeneous country. Uh, they had a state state institution for racial biology in Sweden. So uh, they have the whole history. And, uh, and now many Muslims are coming uh, uh, in just a couple of decades. And things have changed, really. If you go to, to the suburbs in Sweden, uh, you don't see, you, you can hardly see uh, ethnic Swedes uh, 
Uh, you can see, like, if you go out on Juma uh, uh, Friday prayer, you can see people going around with so Muslim clothes all over the place and so on. So things have really changed in Sweden. Just having spoken to people who know much more about these things than I do, that the sense is that Muslims generally in Britain, these are obviously uh, first, second, even third generation Muslims, are broadly speaking uh, have retained their faith. Uh, they're, they're still conservative on those values, uh, w which very much are at odds with the rising militant secular liberalist values on, on say, LGBT issues and so on. Um, and that surprised me. I, I, I thought Muslims might have buckled here, but they haven't, at least not yes. yet. Alhamdulillah. But um, what about in this? What is the situation of of Muslims in Sweden today? Are are are, are they resisting or are they are they buckling under this? Uh, top-down pressure to become more inverted commas Swedish. I say inverted commas because this is, yeah. you know, what is Swedish values anyway? G given the history you mentioned of Lutherism uh, and, and militant hostility towards Catholics, and then you have kind of the rise of secularism, and then you have the rise of uh, atheism, and uh, you know, it's not really clear what Swedish values are historically. But mm. I mean, uh, are, are Muslims in Sweden today retaining their faith, or, or are they going under? Um, how would you see it? Um. Of course, it's a big difference now. Uh, in the 70s, it was only 10,000 Muslims, and now it's 1 million Muslims. Uh, it's 10% of the population. Wow. They say wow. uh, a researcher called Tobias Hibinet, he said that it's 20% Muslims amongst the youths in Sweden. So 10% of the whole population, but amongst the youths, it's 20%. That's and incredible. I think this is one of the highest percentages in the whole of Europe. So... Uh, now, if you go to different places, uh, you live in some suburbs, you live in some areas and so on, most of your neighbors will be Muslims, you will have a musalla, a prayer place that you can go to, they used to have Islamic schools before that they can go to and so on, but you can even see that the Islamic organizations, many of the Islamic organizations, they don't really tackle the problems uh, of the Muslim youth today. So mm -hmm. most of the mosques in Sweden are uh, mosques of uh, the, the imams of the mosques are imams that came from other countries did not grow up in sweden many of them do not uh, speak uh, swedish uh, so well and so on so they give khutbah in uh, in their languages usually and so on yeah. so they uh, there's a big uh, it's very hard for the the imams of many mosques to reach out to youth who grow up in sweden uh, but at the same time, uh, during the late 90s and during the 21st century, uh, uh, many converts and uh, people that grew up in Sweden, they went to study. Uh, they went to, to Yemen, they went to Saudi Arabia, to the Islamic University, like I did, and so on. And then they came back to make dawah in Sweden. Right. And this dawah of people that grow up in Sweden, they speak the language, they know how people think, the, the second generation of Muslims, the third generation of Muslims and so on, they have really managed to reach out to many Muslims in Sweden. Wow. So we have like a website in Sweden, it's called Islam.nu. Uh, it has uh, hundreds of thousands of visitors each year. And that's in a country with uh, only 10 million people. The 10 million people speak Swedish. So hundreds of thousands of people going in, the visitors to the, uh, to the website each year, that's a lot. And uh, reach out to people on social media and so on, especially people, uh, students that study in the Islamic University in Medina. 
uh, they can they really reach out if they go to mosques in sweden it's always packed people are always coming to to, to the lectures and so on so yeah. there's uh, a lot of people coming back to religion uh, alhamdulillah a lot of people converting to islam too so there are good things but at the same time you can see the pressure uh, are really affecting uh, many muslim youths too especially mm -hmm. those who uh, grow grew up in schools where most of the people are ethnic swedes and so on uh, they have been very secularized in many ways. So we can see that uh, we have different paths at the same time. Uh, one path that they're trying to pressure, and now they will pressure more and more and more. And at the same time, uh, there are more people coming to the mosques than ever in Sweden. Uh, more people coming to lectures, more people listening to lectures online and so on. There's never been more people doing that in Sweden than any time before. Uh, I think yeah, one of the me of London, by the way. I mean, whenever I go to, uh, I went uh, Juma uh, this lunchtime in central London. It's just pa the problem is for these for Muslims in mosques like this, it, and some of these mosques are quite large. Is is fitting everyone in because yeah. they're so they are so popular, uh, and and amongst the youth, this is not like old. You know, this is uh, young people. Um, th that's the challenge: how to get every, every everyone in. But I wanted to ask a very specific uh, question about Salafi Dawa in. Uh, Sweden and this of course um, can attract the uh, anxieties of, of uh, people in Sweden who don't understand uh, Salafism of course because of the infinitesimally small number who use that label to justify jihadi extremism uh, you know mm -hmm. terrorism I mean um, but in the main obviously the vast majority of Salafis are uh, orthodox Sunni Muslims who uh, who are not in any way, on the contrary, they're very anti-terrorism. But um, uh, how successful is Salafi Dawa, particularly in, in Sweden, in your in your view? I, I can say like this, in Sweden, uh, when I grew up, I never heard the word Salafi. It is a, the, the word Salafi was never mentioned in media, and so I, oh, I didn't read it. Maybe it was mentioned, but you never read about it. Yeah. Uh, just in the last maybe seven or eight years, it has been mentioned in thousands of articles in Sweden. Right. So the word Salafi in Sweden really means, uh, or, or how it's portrayed in media, Salafi is an extremist uh, that in that is uh, either he is a ISIS member or very, very close to being ISIS. So if you say to someone in Sweden, okay, uh, this person is a Salafi and so on, he can get fired from work. Uh, he can get a lot of problems and so on. So it's like a word used in Sweden for the worst kind of extremism uh, in Sweden. Uh, and it's very hard for secular Swedes to, to explain to secular Swedes uh, about uh, what Salafism really is uh, or, or no, how I mean, it can be understood. Well, the, the, the reason for this, because uh, it's completely... Uh, there's a complete disinformation to suggest that about Salafi Muslims. It, it mu I, I don't know the reason. I can only attribute it to simple media brainwashing. Most people mm -hmm. think that because it is so disconnected to reality, actual real Salafis, who yeah. are anything but that characterization, that, that the only cause I can think of, as I say, is, is, is state or government or media brainwashing, pumping out that fake news, the cliche, fake news all the time, and then people... We believe it because they, they don't have alternative sources of information. Usually, I guess, would that be fair enough? Yeah, yeah. It's like if they mention Salafism in Sweden, it's like, oh, we have Nazism and we have Salafism. So it's it's like 
they are making it. Uh, this is almost uh, almost the, the same thing uh, in Swedish Amazing. media and so on. So it's it's a very sensitive, very very sensitive word to use in in Sweden uh, or a term in many ways. Uh, it's not like when I see it in other countries, uh, like in UK and so on. People are using the word in a different context, and that's also yeah. something that you can see that the word selfism, people are using it in uh, different contexts in in different countries so it mm -hmm. could be understood from people or from the the, the public or from the media or from the government in different countries in many different uh, in many different ways mm. uh, yeah uh, so so my, my, my question Abdullah was uh, thank you for that that but the question was uh, g g given that we understand the real realities of Salafism so m moving away from the the negative disinformation that's pumped around Sweden it seems uh, how successful is real Salafi dawah in 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 uh, in Sweden so in, in the positive sense that that we understand it to be uh, is, is it making uh, inroads into Sal into a dawah amongst the youth um, in a positive way what they mention like uh, researchers and so on they say uh, today there are tens of thousands of Salafis in Sweden I, I don't know there there are no census there are no like Mm -hmm. um, statistics on that, but you can see some researchers. This is what they mentioned, and they used to mention before that there were only tens of Salafis in Sweden, and now they say, right. then they said thousands of and thousands, tens of thousands. I don't know. Okay, maybe, maybe not. So okay. yeah, th th this is what, what has been mentioned. Fair enough. Um, way, yeah. I think um, perhaps moving to our, our final question, really. What do you think about the future uh, for Islam and Muslims in Europe generally and in Sweden uh, specifically? So focusing now on the future, I mean, we're, we're seeing trajectories, aren't we here, where you've been yeah. speaking about this. You know, we, we see a, a curve that's moving in a certain direction. Do, do you see that largely negative curve or paradoxical curve? Because there's a negative curve in the one sense, but on the other hand, at the grassroots, religion is growing green shoots are shooting up despite very adverse circumstances and that's certainly true in the uk it seems like it's true in sweden but uh what do you think about the future for islam and in, in muslims in europe in general as well um yeah it's a it's a very interesting question and uh, in the end of the day uh, the only one who knows the future is allah subhanahu wa mm. ta'ala god uh, but so like if i would say to someone living in the 70s and were 10,000 Muslims in Sweden. Uh, you know, after uh, 50 years in Sweden, there will be 1 million Muslims in Sweden, and you will have websites with hundreds of thousands of visitors each year, and mus uh, mosques uh, filled with people who come in there and pray. No one would believe you. And now this is the reality. Okay. Uh, if you would say to a Swede uh, that we will have the second largest party in Sweden will be a, neo uh, a, a party with neo-Nazi roots, they will not believe you 50 years ago, but now this is the reality in Sweden. So things are changing very, very quickly uh, right. in Europe and in Sweden. Yes. And there's something that is really, uh, that they can't really do anything about. And this is the demographical change that is happening yeah. in Europe and in Sweden specifically. Yeah. We have 90,000 people, about 90,000 people in Sweden dying each year. So in 11 years, that means uh, 1 million people uh, have died, 10% of the population. Uh, 
140,000 people are born each year. So in 11 years, that's 1.5 million. So you can see just in 10 years from now, 11 years from now, 1 million that are living today will be dead and we will have 1.5 million more people living. And you can see that most of people that dies are ethnical Swedes, uh, old people and so on. And we can see that Muslims have much higher birth rates than uh, non-Muslims in Sweden. So Pew Research made uh, uh, an estimation in uh, 2016. They mentioned that uh, the highest numbers of Muslims in Western Europe is in France, 8.8%, and followed by Sweden, 8.1%, and then UK, 6.3%. And they made uh, three different estimations of the number of Muslims in uh, European countries, 2050. So they say if it was a low uh, immigration uh, rate, France would have 12.7% uh, Muslims, Sweden 11.1% and UK 9.7%. Medium migration, 20% in Sweden. Sweden cool. would be the highest country, yeah. Wow. And France 174 and UK 167 And if it would be high migration, 30% of the population in Sweden will be Muslims and 18% in France and 70% in UK. So uh, according to this research, Sweden would be the top country if we would have medium migration or high migration with number of Muslims. And now, of course, the new government and also the old government, they are lowering the migration rates in Sweden. But at the same time, there's a demographical change happening in Sweden with ethnical Swedes getting uh, older and older and dying and more and more. And like I said, 20% of the youths are Muslim, so they will give birth to children and so on and so on. And at the same time, uh, Europe are going through big demographical problems. So we have in Sweden between 2019 to 2028, the number of people over 80 years will increase by 50% in Sweden, from 500,000 to 750,000. And a person that is older than 80 years old, they say that it costs 10 times more to society than a person that is working. So they will need people in Sweden that will work. They can't stop migration. They can't stop immigration. They need people coming to Sweden. Uh, this year was... Uh, the, the lowest birth rate in 20 years in Sweden. The, each woman is giving birth to 1.6 uh, child. Uh, and that's too low. They, need, they have a big demographical problem in Europe that in Europe. they have to solve in some way. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's a yeah. European-wide. It's in Italy, apparently, the, the replacement rate has really plummeted, which means Italians are, well, on the way to becoming extinct, basically, unless they yeah. have more babies. Um, and and this, the Catholic Church is the only institution I'm aware of in Europe that's actually uh, talking about this, or has it, even the Pope has mentioned this is yeah. a real crisis facing Europe, that it, it is basically becoming extinct unless it actually... And, and as you say, the economics of it are so... Uh, are so real and so powerful that you have to suck in Im- immigration to sustain the society you have with an ever-increasing elderly population that need health care and pensions and, and so on. So it's it's a real... And, and th- this whole mixture, of course, is something that the right uh, fixates on uh, and talks about, and, and, and they come to power because they say, well, look at the, you know, the immigrants. But 
well, yeah, maybe there are other solutions to these, these issues rather than just attacking Muslims. Yeah, and I think this is why they focus now on uh, assimilation one more time. Uh, they had the multiculturalism and now it's finished. Now it's going to be assimilation. Yeah. And they are going to focus on Muslim adopting this, their values because they can't get rid of Muslims. Muslims will stay there and Muslims will be in the country. So right. what are Swedish values today? Uh, some of them, they say it's Christian values, but uh, we had like in 1972 in Sweden, 95% uh, of the population in Sweden was still members of the Church of Sweden. Now mm. it's down to 53%. And right. it's uh, getting lower and lower each year. A couple of percent every year, isn't it? It's going down. Yeah, yeah. One to two percent each year. Yeah. So is Sweden a Christian country? No. <laughs> you can't say it's a Christian country. It has a Christian history, but it's a Christian country? No. Uh, most of the prime ministers or uh, ministers, they, they, like in USA, you can see Donald Trump holding the Bible and speaking about God and so on. This is almost impossible in Sweden that they can, uh, the prime minister will speak about God and so on. Uh, it's, it's very, very seldom in Sweden. Uh, can you say that Swedes today or Westerners today have the, uh, the old uh, rational enlightenment values that they used to have? One more? No. Uh, you can see, like postmodernism, uh, <laughs> in the universities today. This is, especially when it comes to social sciences, uh, this is uh, this is how they think in postmodern uh, uh, postmodern terms, and uh, it's totally different from the old values that they used to have during the Enlightenment and after that. So uh, everything became becomes uh, relativistic and uh, constantly changing, and so on. Uh, people lo uh, lose their identity, uh, even they lose their gender identity. Uh, so people are uh, uh, really confused. Like in Europe today, they don't really know what their own Western values are. They speak about West Western values usually uh, yeah. in polemics when they speak against Muslims. So we have our Western values and so yeah. on. But when, it, when you try to break it down, you speak to them, you can see that they have different values. You have conservatives, you have uh, leftists, you have people that have different values and look at these issues in, in totally different ways. So speaking about the Western world that they have, like a firm set of values that they all stick to, it's not true because it's constantly changing. Yeah. It, it strikes me then, the, uh, the way you're speaking then, that the... The, the largest faith group that will emerge in Europe, in Sweden especially, um, in, if not now, but in, certainly in, in, the, in the near future, would be a group that meant, holds fast, it seems to me, to the faith of Abraham, the faith of Moses, the faith of Jesus, the faith of Muhammad, peace be upon them all, um, in a way that is becoming the only group left doing this. If the churches are in decline uh, and they assimilate, if they have assimilated to secular liberal values, which most of these churches are, you know, promoting certain issues, we'll go into those. Um, but it seems the only faith group left bearing witness, being a beacon, being uh, for um, Abrahamic monotheism, one way of putting it, will be the Muslims. And maybe this is the destiny of Muslims in Europe to keep the torch, uh, you know, keep the torch alight. Uh, for Abrahamic monotheism in Europe uh, when the rest of Europe, uh, indigenous Europe, shall we say, um, is abandoning it. Uh, I, but they're not abandoning it to something robust and solid uh, and that can give meaning and purpose. 
they, they have, as you say, embraced postmodernism, relativism, where there's no meaning. There's there's this chaos. Um, so, but maybe that that is Islam's unique vocation in Europe to be a beacon of hope uh, and and identity and faith uh, in the one God. Uh, almost by accident, obviously in the divine scheme of things, it may not be an accident. But, but in terms of you know, the horizontal perspective, you know, immigration, you know, wasn't really long-term thinking about this. So maybe that is the destiny ultimately of Muslims in Europe to be this beacon of faith, uh, where everyone else is abandoning it in, in effect. Yeah, I think so because, like, uh, postmodernism uh, comes with relativism. And mm -hmm. that life doesn't really have any true meaning, and they mm -hmm. don't even have any truth anymore. Like it's all relativistic; it's your truth, and so on. But at the same time, we as human beings are always seeking for meaning in life, seeking for the truth, and so on. And Islam will come with absolute values and uh, with the truth to people. And I think this will attract many people, especially in this age now. Yes. And also people see uh, like they have been living their uh, individualistic, like Sweden is one of the most individualistic countries in the world. And 35% uh, of the Swedes are living by themselves in their houses and so on. And people mm -hmm. need belonging and they can see Muslims, they have brotherhood, they have sisterhood, they are uh, coming together in mosques and, and so on. And people long for this. People long for yeah. this. I really think that Islam, especially now, will become more and more attractive in the Western world. Especially now, we can see some leading public uh, uh, intellectuals and uh, figures in uh, personalities and social media and so on, getting attracted to Islam, some converting and so on. I think this will really be an eye-opener for many Westerners to Islam, inshallah ta'ala. Inshallah. Well, that's why ultimately I, I know it's sooner to be optimistic anyway, but that's why I'm actually, uh, if I look at it through that that lens, or what one can be very optimistic about the future of Islam and Muslims uh, in in Europe. But it doesn't mean it'll be easy for Muslims in Europe. But in terms of the uh, the bearing witness to these solid, enduring, absolute values. Uh, which are very deep values of faith. We're not dealing with a political ideology or some or a fashion. We're dealing with something that's very deeply rooted in our in our species and a belief in one God, uh, part of the fitra, as Muslims call it. Um, and if, if Muslims are bearing witness to that quite powerfully in their very lives, in their families, and so on, um, th th this could be a, a, a great healing, dare I say, it, a great mercy to Europe that they should uh, find this pathway. Um, to salvation if, if they want to take it of course so maybe there are good grounds for optimism despite the clouds and the, the storm clouds maybe there's some optimism as well yeah i think so and uh, like especially now with, with subhanallah with social media you can reach people i i speak to people that converts they're living in villages in sweden that they convert and they're living over there this would be almost impossible yeah. like i spoke about the yeah. first muslims coming to sweden 90 years ago we had 15 Muslims in the whole of Sweden. How could you reach to people living in villages, living in other uh, places and so on? Now you can reach to people all over the place. 
And also so, some Europeans, they think that, oh, it's impossible for us to become Muslims. This is not part of our identity. But like, if we look at the history of Sweden, they were polytheists and then they became Catholics yeah. and then Protestants and then Enlightenment secularism yeah. and then postmodernism and so yeah. on. They are constantly changing. So why not? You're all over the place. Yeah. So, yeah. But that's why I say, you know, the Swedish values, you look at the history, you think, hang on, there are no Swedish values. There's a whole history of succession of different ideologies and religions and so on. Uh, and and for Muslims, of course, they, they view Islam as nothing new. It's just the the, re, the restatement, the reassertion of an old time religion, the faith, as I say, of Abraham and Moses uh, and so on. So, um, yeah, m maybe there's something to that. OK. I hope so. You have to keep on working, inshallah, spread the message. Uh, uh, and absolutely. And uh, I know you're doing uh, amazing work behind the scenes uh, to that end. So, uh, uh, well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Abdullah Swedi from uh, Medina uh, in uh, Saudi Arabia. And that's yet another untold story. Swedish people in Saudi Arabia, uh, um, the community <laughs> there. But we're a bit too late to go into that now. Um, but thank you very much indeed for, for sharing your fascinating insight. This is Thank you very much. Very nice to speak to you. It's such an important thing what you're doing because uh, it's really important we understand what's going on in Europe because because of the geopolitical hegemony the West has at the moment, uh, we need to understand the forces and the conflicts and the religious issues and the de demographic issues as well in Europe because unfortunately we have an outsized influence on everyone else uh, in the world, I mean. So um, it's important to understand this. So thank you very much indeed to you, sir. Thank you very much. Nice to speak to you. Until next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.